Guys, UFC 275 recap going down from Singapore. Well, not the recap going down from Singapore, but the show. And dude, it ended up being very entertaining. I think everyone got their uh, entertainment value. Uh, in terms of the bets, six and five doesn't sound great, but considering we went one and three on those goddamn women MMA matches, uh, I think uh, the reads for the most part I felt pretty comfortable, but the main card wasn't bad. I think we went four for five there and uh, hit a couple underdogs along the way as well. So not terrible. Our top ticket did cash, so we survived unscathed moving on to the next one, but really came down to Choi. Like, it was a split decision. I completely agree he did lose, but it was a close fight. It was a competitive fight, and had we gotten that last one there, then we're hitting three lines, you know? Jake Matthews tying off uh, the last of a, a third legger, right? You'd be looking at, you know, plus a 1,000 about it. I think it was like nine 970 or something. So, anyways, those are the close bounces. Didn't quite get it, but we're happy that at least our top ticket didn't get mauled because, of course, in this card, anything had the potential of happening starting off at the bottom we got women's mma action obviously i didn't do too good here ramona pasquale versus jocelyn edwards i don't feel terrible about taking the underdog shot on ramona pasquale because a lot of the dogger pass fight man it seemed like she had her moments she could have won it in the first edwards is definitely landing more she's got the better volume she's on her way to winning the first round and then just gets crushed with a body shot from pasquale i mean she grimaces in pain she's uh audibly you know hurt from the shot that plus a couple head kicks in the mix that's got to steal Pasquale the first round, right? Later, we'd find out there's a 30-27 in the mix, so apparently not. But at the time, Pasquale wins the first round. Second round, not so clear-cut. See, Jocelyn Edwards is just starting to take away on the volume. She's running away from it. She's landing two, three, four, five unanswered kicks at a time before Pasquale would land anything. But in the second round, Pasquale does land the better, more damaging blows. So really comes down to your judging style. What are, what are you looking at? Looking for those 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 bigger shots that might be inflicting a little bit of damage. There's a little bit of no, blood coming out of her nose, per se. You know, that body shot did some damage. Like, are you looking for that stuff? Or are you looking for just kick, kick, touch, go, jab, kick, oblique, front kick up the middle, uh, oblique again, low leg kick, front kick up the middle. Like, it's a lot of touch and go, but it's a lot of volume. So as someone that had it as a PRP pick, but not a whole lot of investment beyond that, I was hoping Pasquale won the first two rounds, but I was prepared to accept that it was 1-1. And in the second round, she was starting to slow down a little bit. Those big shots weren't landing quite as much. And Edwards is just taking away in the volume count. And that's the story of the third round as well. It's just all Edwards. Pasquale's just moving on a straight line. She's not answering anything. She's not checking anything. She's not returning fire. She's not looking to counter. She's not looking to catch the kick and take her down. She's not looking to do anything. She's just walking straight up to her, getting kicked four or five times, and, and chasing and following. Terrible game plan. Um... But I suppose you could have scored at 29-28 Ramona Pasquale that she won the first two rounds. Yeah, that's what I would be hoping for here. But not meant to be. Women's MMA strikes again. Only the favorite does get the victory. Jocelyn Edwards, like I wouldn't say it was pretty. I wouldn't say either girl has got a you know a very high ceiling in the division. And if you're not going to be a contender, you're not going to be a serious threat, you're not going to be – got to have these exciting fights. Go out there and have some exciting fights. Can't say that was the case here either. Like Edwards' style was very much – Touch, touch, go, stay to the outside, risk adverse, let's say. Her takedown defense looked a lot better. And for Pasquale, she was a bigger woman, but her takedowns were pretty much zilch. Didn't get anything really going with them. Striking, you know, limited. Got some early success, but the longer this thing waned, just wasn't quite there. She is young in her career, and that, that was, her, I believe, her 10th pro fight. But she's also in her mid-30s, or nearing her mid-30s. So, yeah, they'd be entertaining fighters if that. 
but I, I, I wasn't even all that entertained. Doesn't matter. Silvana Goa, Juarez versus Naliang. This is a good fight. Good fight in that it was a finish, but bad fight in that we go with Naliang. Now, why do you go with Naliang? Again, another another dog or pass situation, I think. You know that she's probably got the wrestling advantage. She's got the grappling advantage. She's been off for a year. I'm thinking that size is going to be a difference here. She can go out there. She can get the takedown. She sets up on top. You know that the armbar is going to present itself. Juarez Gomez, not a very good grappler. Something's going to open up, and I think you can just tire her down with this grappling. So that's the game plan. It's grappling versus striking. I happen to favor the grappling. But you got to admit with Silvana Gomez Juarez, her hands look awesome and all the tape prior to coming to the UFC. And then in the UFC, it's been, you know, her getting taken down and submitted by Lupita Godinez. And her absolutely flooring Vanessa Demopoulos, who's got a hell of a chin on her, and before getting submitted by another armbar. So you know her striking's legit. I'm worried that this is going to be a big striking discrepancy, but I think it's also going to be a big ground discrepancy. Naliang just got to get this fight to the ground. So fight starts. Naliang tries to shoot right through her, gets a hold of her, gets her up to the cage, and Gomez Juarez grabs the cage. Okay, that prevents the takedown. Otherwise, she's going down. But she grabs the cage and it keeps her upright. That ability to stay upright allows her to defend the takedown. And then at free range, everything she throws lands. And everything she lands hurts Naliang. Like, it was jabs, it was hooks, it was short little shots. You could just tell she was flustered. Her head would whip back side to side, and she's hurt. She's hurt with every shot. She gave a decent poker face, but that's why she started shooting takedowns from 25 feet out, because she was just like, I don't want to get close to this girl. I'm going to get punched in the head again. And they were all taking their toll. So she would shoot these long, sloppy takedowns, and at that point, Juarez just sees them coming so easily that they're way too easy to defend. And then, of course, Naliang just gets reckless, hands down, walks in the pocket, trying to grab a hold of her and clinch up, and just gets socked with a counterpunch, knocks her out. So awesome knockout. Definitely uh, Gomez Juarez is a, a lot of power at this division for sure. Um, she's going to be able to go out there and hurt a lot of opponents, right? Her ground game, uh, takedown defense did look improved, but I got to go back to that cage grab. Like, I don't know if anybody else feels like it was a fight-changing moment, but it almost felt like what could have been, right? What if, what if she doesn't grab the cage and Naliang gets on top of her right then and there? Maybe she spends two, three minutes on top of her. Maybe she finds that armbar. Maybe she passes. Maybe she ends up in mount. Maybe she gets a back take. Maybe anything happens other than her getting clean clocked and knocked out. But it wasn't meant to be. And again, these are picks I don't have like a ton of faith in. So the fact that they're losing, I'm not super discouraged by it. But uh, I took a couple dogger pass shots on the first two women's MMA bouts. Didn't go that way. Mr. Perfect, Kyung Ho Kang versus Bat Gorel Dana. Uh, again, this is a very this is a very entertaining fight, very fun fight. Dana Bat Gorel figures to have the power advantage. As Paul Shaughnessy talked about in the preview show, he thinks this guy can knock out a lot of the guys in the division. He's sneaky, he's underrated, he's a very strong guy, tough guy. And the thing is, is that he's taking on Mr. Perfect. And Kang hasn't been knocked out since the Bush administration back in 2008. And that was soccer kicks, something that you're obviously not allowed to do these days. So his chin's pretty cast iron. And if he was going to be able to take back Garel's shots, at least in my mind, he'd be able to get takedowns. I'm thinking takedowns. I'm thinking that was going to be the key here for him is going to take this fight to the ground. But had like almost zero interest of taking this fight to the ground. First round, he comes out. His leg kicks are on point. His jab is laser precise. He's starting to mark up Baccarelle. He's starting to kind of swell up the eye a little bit, redden his face up. He's having a lot of success. But Baccarelle's uh, loading up on his punches. He's sitting down and he's throwing. The first couple miss. The next couple get blocked. The next couple get through. And to me, I scored that first round for Dana Baccarelle because he's just landing the bigger shots. I feel like even though he was getting jabbed, even though he was landing those leg kicks, he was backing uh, Mr. Perfect up. He was doing a good job. He's being aggressive. And you didn't feel that 
Kang's out of the fight, like he's still in it. It's just those big shots are going to be more appealing for the judges. So he's got to make some adjustments. He's got to come out of the second and third and, uh, you know, at least switch some things up. Second round, he comes up. And it's not like he really switches anything up. He, again, does not proceed to try to get any takedowns. But the jab was on point. And the jab's landing. And they're snapping Backrell's head back. And even though in the first round, Backrell's throwing those big overhands and those big hooks, and that looks better than the jabs, in the second round, there's less of that from Backrell. And these jabs that Mr. Perfect is still landing – they're Mr. Perfect jabs, baby. They're on the mark, and they're becoming power shots. You see a couple of them visibly stun back row right in his spot, right? The second round is, is close. It's competitive, but I would give it for Kang. I think he just outworked a member so slightly. In the third round, it's much of the same. Who wants to say more? Kang's cardio looked on point. Here's a guy that has faded in some prior fights in the UFC, but I always say he's extremely talented. He's a great athlete, long frame for the division, striking's pretty clean his grappling is actually good i don't know why he didn't use it in this fight at all but he thought he knew how to defeat this opponent and that was going to be using those light kicks staying at range jabbing his face off and in the end i did think he won the last two rounds won this thing 29 28 and the judges agreed giving it 29 28 so close fight competitive fight very entertaining fight but uh happy that we got kang there because it gives us our first win on the card and prelims haven't been going so good at this point so let's move on to brandon allen versus jacob malcoon now, Brandon Allen's one of the bigger favorites on the card. I think he's a, I want to say he's the second biggest favorite on the card behind Velatina Shevchenko. So, of course, he pops up at your head as maybe this is a top ticket guy. Maybe this is a top two ticket guy, which I did not use him on either of the top two tickets. I moved him down to the third because there was a sense here that his wrestling's not great. And Malkoon, in his last couple of fights, he's just shown his propensity to stick to the exact same game plan over and over and over, like a Nick Maximoff. Like he just he'll just go in there and try to get takedowns and hold you down, and that's that's the game plan. And it's worked to a lot of effect in his last two wins, in particular, where he scored I think 14 takedowns in his last two fights. So he was going to have chances to get takedowns, and he's when you're getting taken down, you're getting smothered by a guy. Very frustrating as a better. You could think, oh, Brandon Allen's a better striker, and Brandon Allen's a better grappler, and better, you know, better in all these different aspects of the game, more experience and higher level, and blah blah blah. It doesn't really matter. Guy's going to take you down and just hold you down, a wet blanket you. Very difficult to bet against those guys because you're going to be very frustrated watching this, knowing you got the better guy, but he just has an inability to do anything about the situation. His opponent's not opening up. I remember a cool quote from Nick Diaz back in the day when he's fighting uh, in Pride, right? He fought talking to Argomi in Pride. And he's like, I like the Pride rule set a lot more because you can't elbow, right? And I remember thinking, this guy's a badass. He likes soccer kicks to the head, you know? He like, but Pride doesn't allow elbows. Like, why would he not like elbows? But his whole thing was when a wrestler takes you down, and they just chip away with short elbows. They, they keep themselves short and compact and heavy on top, and they just chip away with little elbows on you. You can't move them. As a jiu-jitsu guy and a long, lanky guy like Nick Diaz that needs to you know generate a lot of leverage to move these bigger bodies off them, can't do anything, right? But a, to a punch somebody requires you to open up. It requires you to you know physically uh, open yourself up to something. And a guy like Nick Diaz, you try to punch him, that's when he's snagging up an arm. That's when he's creating space. That's when he's moving. It makes for more entertaining fights. So... The game has evolved since then because guys like Sean Shirkin then would just take you down and lie on top of you. John Fitch, you know, they take you down, they lie on top of you. Bruno Santos, they take you down, they lie on top of you. And then it, it wins the fight, you know, other than Boss Root and Kevin Randall. And it's like the first time they didn't score that, I guess. It's just always been effective. And what you've seen the last like six weeks is they're not scoring it anymore. Okay. You're going to take a guy down, you'd better ground and pound him. You better do some damage. You'd better try to advance position, try to cement him. Break his will, do something, but just 
to simply take somebody down and hold them, or better yet, not take them down, but just hold them up against the cage and not do anything, they're not looking at it. And here's another thing. Imagine they told you you're doing punch stats for the fight. You'd be like, okay, punch stats for the fight. One guy's holding the other guy in a single leg takedown up against the cage for two minutes. And the other guy is on one leg, punching him in the face like this, okay? And you're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. No, the other guy's still holding on to the single leg takedown. Eight, uh, nine. Are those significant strikes? No. But you're punching a guy in the face from short distance, short little elbows, short, short little contact. It's not a big overhand right. It's not a big uppercut. It's not a, a, a crushing blow, but it's adding up, man. The other guy's still clinging on to a single leg. Oh, good shit. Lots of control going on here. I can't get behind that. So this is a debated fight. It seems like it's 50-50. You know, people in my comment section agreed Allen won, and then the other half of the people were calling them crackheads for thinking Allen won. On MMA decisions, the media members split down the middle. People in the comment section, again, pretty, for the most part, split. But Allen won this fight, at least by the scoring criteria that they're using and scoring criteria that not just because I had the guy bet, but I prefer, right? I'd like these guys to have to work. I'd like these guys to have to improve position. I'd like these guys to have to do different things because it's entertainment at the end of the day, but it's also a point-based system where you're trying to score points. You're not just trying to, I'll score one and I'll make sure he scores zero and that's how I'm going to win. It's like, no, nah, man, you got to move. You got to groove. That's how you move up the card. They want, everyone wants to get paid more money, but you do have to deliver. I'm not saying go out there and take needless damage. I'm saying you do have to do something. So how does the fight go down? The first round, uh, Allen's outstriking him ever so slightly, not like it's a wide margin, but he's beating him on the feet, right? Um, he's landing better shots. He's landing slightly more of them. He's feeling comfortable. He's setting it up. You see every time he's fainting, he's, uh, Malcoon's just immediately biting on the feints, biting on the feints, you know, a couple leg kicks. He's throwing some hands back. He looks content to stand in that first, but I just think slight edge is going towards Brandon Allen. And then Malcoon decides he's going to press him up against the cage. So he presses him up against the cage for a minute or so. Doesn't really get a whole lot done with it. Does get a, like a quick, you know, gets Allen down on a single leg. Allen back up. Allen, big hip toss, right? That hip toss is, I don't know how much damage it does, but damn it, look like it hurt. This guy just gets tossed. It's a big takedown. It's a big moment. Now you've got Allen winning the striking exchanges, right? You've got Allen winning on the numbers, the significant strike scored for the round. You've got Allen landing the meaningful takedown of the round. And it was a nice takedown, nice big slam right on his back. You know, judo tossed him. Nice hip toss, good stuff. Right into full mount. And then he gets a little greedy on full mount. He gets a little high and it looks like he's trying to fish for a submission instead of just holding him down. And there's 30 seconds left and Malcoon gets a reversal. Malcoon ends up back on top, spends the last 30 seconds on top. So how do you score this round? Okay, well, Malcoon kind of was behind on the striking numbers and you know kind of did get hit a little more and with the better quality of shots. And, uh, well, he did press him up against the cage and fish for a single leg a few times and got a reversal on the ground. But, that, but that's it. That's it, right? And it's not like Allen did a whole lot. They just did more. So I'm fully prepared to expect the judges could give this to Malcoon. But I'm also thinking to myself, if the judges are good, and I don't know who's judging it, but if they're good, they got Allen winning this round because Allen won that round, right? Second round, not the case. Malcoon's getting the takedowns. He gets them early. It looks like Allen's starting to tire. Malcoon's setting up on shop, uh, setting up shop on top, not doing a whole lot. He's not trying to advance position. He's not trying to set up a submission. He's mostly just holding him down, but he is landing some good ground and pound in that second round, a little more than he's used to, right? There are a couple decent shots that sneak through. He is 
largely dominating these positions. When Allen would get back up, he would just take him right back down. Yes, he's holding him up against the cage, but Allen's not landing really a whole lot of short shots in the second round, right? It's more so Malcoon working him. Now, by the numbers, it was an even round. It's not like Malcoon outlanded him in that round. He just had a whole lot more domination. And then with 40 seconds left, Brandon Allen finally uh, is able to reverse position and gets on top. And when he gets on top for 40 seconds, he goes to town. He goes to town. He starts landing elbows. He starts landing short little shots. He starts looking at, he got a little forearm choke going on here, right? He's trying to do something because that's what you're supposed to do when you're on top. But there was only 40 seconds of it. So I couldn't give him the round because he, he did get controlled for four minutes, right? And then he had a good 40 seconds. So it just, it, that doesn't outweigh the control. But you can see the difference when one guy was on top to the other, right? Malcoon's on top, just looking to smother you and hold you down. Brandon Allen's on top. He was switching. He was moving. He was trying to float. He was trying to get the back take. He was trying to get a submission going. He was working them. Like, he gave up a couple good positions going for these dumbass submissions. And I kept thinking to myself, what are you doing, Allen? But he's fighting. That's, that's what he's doing. He's fighting. He's attempting to finish the fight and make this, you know, as great for the crowd as he possibly can, even though they're booing him. And people seemingly think that Malcoon's up two rounds now. And so the third round, it's like, okay, you got to get after it. And Brendan Allen shoots a takedown, Malcoon up right away. Brendan Allen starts landing some better strikes. And again, this is a close third round, but I thought this was Allen's best round. Uh, he outlanded him, I think, 18 to 11 in the round. He didn't get taken down. He stuffed a lot of the takedowns. He just fought a lot better. Uh, well, he did get taken down, but, you know, again, grappling was there, was able to get up, was able to reverse position. When he ended up on top that last minute, I mean, he avoided all those half-guard sweeps. He trying to crucifix them. He's working. This is an Allen fight. One guy went out there and worked and tried to win, and the other guy was like, I'm going to hold position down for as long as I can and get a victory. So, no, it's a it's a Brandon Allen fight. And then to, for people to be like, well, man, I, I don't disagree that Brandon Allen won because I thought he won. But a unanimous decision? Ah, oh, I can't see that, man. I, I I hate that opinion. I hate that opinion. How could There's three people in a room, okay? You're saying you think Brandon Allen won the fight. That's what your personal opinion is. And if people were thinking the same way you're thinking, and there was three of you, then you'd have a unanimous decision. Now, you think Brandon Allen won. And I think Brandon Allen won. And the other one guy in the room thinks Brandon Allen won. Okay? It's unanimous decision. Whoa. I can't believe that. I can't believe one of you three didn't think the other guy won. What? How did you score the fight? Well, I scored the fight for Brandon Allen. Okay. So if there was three of you, then you'd all have Brandon Allen win the fight. And it's you ah. A, spl a split is not indicative. If there was 100 people voting and it was 100 of them picked Brandon Allen... Something's going on, man. What the hell? Not one guy gave Malcoon that fight. Something's off. If there's 10 guys scoring this fight and all 10 of them scored it for Brandon Allen, I'm thinking more plausibly, well, I'm kind of surprised that not one guy would have thought like that. But three judges, dude. It's just three guys, right? And can they not all have the same opinion that Brandon Allen won the first round and the third round in a close fight? Of course they can. But the internet doesn't think that way. Some people won money on Allen. They're super happy. They think he won. Some people lost money on Malcoon. They're super disappointed. They thought he won. You're never going to get it right either side. Uh, I don't consider this one like uh, a lucky bounce. Had I got the Choi fight, that would have been a lucky bounce. This one wasn't a lucky bounce. It was a greasy bounce. Greasy bounce. Because, again, this is the second biggest betting favorite on the card, and he squeaked by Jacob Malkoon. So Brandon Allen, this is a bad performance. Like, where do you go from here? Well, his wrestling really isn't all that good. His grappling really isn't all that good. His striking 
really isn't all that good. Is cardio in his heart? That kind of was improved in this fight. I thought that he looked a little bit better in that third round. He tied in the second, and yet he caught a second wind. He was determined in the third. He was looking to finish when he could in his spots. He's still young. He's still out of Sanford MMA, trading with some of the best guys in the world. I do think that he will make improvements. I do think that he will improve, but he's fighting at a very low to mid level, and he kind of just like fights to the level of his opposition. So not like the greatest outing for a guy that was kind of put in a bit of a showcase fight, I suppose, and you're that bit of a fa- big of a favorite. And then for Jacob Malkoon, like I would be interested in betting this guy in the future because he's just going to do the same shit to most guys. He's just going to take them down and hold them. And some judges are going to reward that. And of course, some guys are not going to be able to fight back like Brandon Allen, and you'll be able to just dominate them the way he did in the second round, let's say. But at the same time, knowing that the judges aren't rewarding this stuff anymore is is bad news to bet guys like Jacob Malkoon because what's the path of victory if the judges aren't scoring doing nothing, not going to be great. So I know it sounds like I'm being harsh on him, saying he did nothing and he did this and that. Like, he went out there and fought his heart out, right? Took some shots, uh, got tired, was in some bad positions, fought through. Like, you know, the guy's got heart. I'll give him that. I just, I just, I mean, from a betting standpoint, from a pick standpoint, from an entertainment standpoint, yeah, Jacob Malkoon just not really uh, all there. But I will tell you what happens after this fight. They score that fight for Brandon Allen, all three judges. I feel good about it. And I says, there's no way Ramazan Amin's winning tonight. No way. So I hit back down on Jack Della because what's Ramazan Amin's path to victory? He's going to do the same shit. He's going to try to hold him up against the cage and do absolutely nothing. And if they're not going to score it, you know, and this is this is stuff that we need to change our patterns on how you bet in some spots. Jack Della was already on my top ticket. Just I felt a lot better about it knowing that this is another uh, commission that's not rewarding cage control and limited amounts of damage so anyways moving on my shot steve garcia <laughs> I got a shoey bet on this one. I don't know. I should have had a shoey bet on the main event instead. But uh, nope, nope. Paul likes Maha shot. He's an underdog. He's 22 years old. He's making his UFC debut. And uh, what's he got, Paul? Wow, the guy's got a little pop in his hands. He's got some power. And as Paul says, you know, that'd be enough to beat Steve Garcia, who almost got knocked out by Charlie Ontivero. So I can't disagree with him. The dude almost got knocked out by Charlie Ontiveros. How could you ever bet him? With any type of faith or conviction, especially on a shoey bet. I'm going to get a dirty-ass boot, another dirty-ass shoey. <laughs> so the fight starts, and it actually looks kind of similar to the Charlie Ontiveros fight. Steve Garcia just walks straight at him, and Maha shot blasts him, hurts him right away. It's, it's a clean knockdown. But Garcia pops right back up. He's got his wits about him. And now that he's up and he, there's no distance in between you and him, he just gets a hold of Mahashat, pushes him into the cage, quick little takedown. Lands a couple nice little right hands up against the cage as Mahashat's down on a knee. But the kid gets back up. The kids get back up, clears out, gets back into the open space, and then Steve Garcia just no ability to gauge the distance. His, his whole game plan was just crash the pocket, crash the pocket. But crashing the pocket with your hands down against a kid that does have known to be, have power in his hands is not a really good game plan. You've already been dropped once. You got dropped by Charlie Ontiveros in your last fight as well. Your chin's probably not great. This game plan's probably not working. You need to let him come to you. You need to let him come to you. And when he throws those strikes, duck under and get this kid to the ground and get him down fast. But now he crashes the pocket with his hands down and gets caught with a second clean counter. Only this one absolutely severs him from his conscious. So bad go for Steve Garcia. Again, happy I didn't have him super up on my tickets or anything uh, because it's like, you know, would have been a painful loss to have real faith in this guy. But I had a shoey bet on the line. So 
Paul's killing me in these shoey bets, and I don't know, man. <laughs> Why did I take Steve Garcia? But again, it was mostly betting my shot was mostly I think he could do this. I think he could be good. I think, and uh, that kid proved it. Takedown defense still a liability. Grappling probably still going to be a problem. But he's got some legit power. And there's a lot of these Steve Garcia types that they can throw him in there. And he'll have some fun fights with. And he's 22. So put him in a good training situation. Let the kid grind. Let the kid get some wins. 10th pro fight under his belt. All good stuff. Maybe Mahashat does have a future. And will uh, will be one of these guys that you can bet going forward. Steve Garcia, meanwhile, like, I, I well, how could you bet him against anybody? He got dropped by Charlie Alderos. And now he got absolutely murdered by a 22-year-old Chinese kid in a matter of minutes. So uh, minute 14 to be exact. What, what can you do? You're probably not going to look to bet this guy going forward. Josh Kulabout versus Sungwoo Choi. So this one is important to me. I got Sungwoo Choi. I put him on the second line. I think he's going to be bigger than Kulabout. I think he's going to be longer than Kulabout. He's got the better striking technique. Maybe he's giving up a little bit of power. Like he's not really one of these big finishing types. But if he can just fight a clean, smart game plan. You know, he's got this, this Korean Muay Thai background. Guy's fairly clean on his feet. I just thought he was a lot better than Josh Kulabau. And Kulabau's had moments in the UFC. You know, he rocked Charles Jordan. And of course, Jordan's on a great run right now. Like He looks like he's got fast hands. He's a decent enough athlete. He's got a great chin on him. I just don't feel like he's one of these guys that's getting over the hump. But the crowd is live for him. They're way into it. Fight starts. Sungwoo Choi is doing what I need him to do. Fighting on the outside briefly. Uh, landing some leg kicks, landing the jabs, trying to set up the hands, just seems like he's being a little more active. I think he's winning the first three minutes of the first round, and then he just gets caught. Now, why does he get caught? Because he's stepping in the pocket, and he's trying to trade hooks with Kulabau. Thing is, when you hot, when you got a big height advantage and a reach advantage, your arms are just naturally longer. So for you to throw a hook, the arm's coming a lot longer, right? Kulabau's sitting in the pocket, and he's throwing sharp hooks. And he's got fast hands, so he's beating him to the punch. And when you hook with a hooker, you get caught, you're generally going down. It was it was a reckless game plan. Not only that, when he got dropped from Kulabau in that first, he pops back up. He just goes right into brawl mode, not clinch mode, not evade mode. He goes right into, I need to fight for my life, which is, you know, a pretty cool factory reset. This guy's just going to swing out there and go for it out on his shield, right? That's pretty cool. But not the smartest thing going. Right? Like You need to buy yourself time. Same thing with boxing. You get rocked. You don't sit on the ropes with your hands up trying to block shots. You grab this motherfucker, right? You grab this motherfucker and you hold on until the ref says, hey, 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 separate, separate. And then when you when he comes back at you, you grab him again, okay? You can even dig a knee in boxing. Oh, I'm fucked up right now. Get on a knee. Take your eight count. Clear the cobwebs. Get back up. It's the same shit in MMA. You know, good grapplers can just fall to their back. You know, just uh, Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira gets dropped, so he'll just fall onto his ass and be like, well, do you want to get on me? Because if you get on me, I'm just going to try to submit you. You're probably not going to get a whole lot of ground and pound off unless your name is Paul Felder. I can buy myself time. Choi wasn't trying to buy himself time. He just opted to try to brawl. So he got caught two or three more clean times. He's way wobbled. Some bad, a bad ref would have stopped it. Like a Mark Smith type probably would have stopped it. But... I'm glad that they let it continue because you could tell that Troy was trying to fight back. He was trying to grab a hold of him. He was trying to do at least something by the third time he was rocked, enough to just survive, and he's able to survive the first round. So it was otherwise a decent Troy round, but all oh, that damage and the knockdown, like it's very clearly Josh Kulabau's round. Second round, like very, very similar. Choi is doing the better work through the first minute or two, and then Kulabau drops him. 
How does he drop him? The same shit. Like, even though he's doing good work, he's just so tempted to step in the pocket and exchange big bombs. You're not a power puncher, dog. You're not. You're a volume guy. You need to stand on the outside, Jocelyn Edwards style, and just chip away. Touch and go. Try to win this fight. Kulabau's a power puncher. He's trying to step in the pocket and blow your head off because he's got a shorter reach. And he's falling behind on the striking numbers. So don't step in the pocket with him. But he does. He gets dropped. Again, he pops back up right away. And I thought he fought a better remaining two minutes of that round. This is definitely a Choe round, if not for the fact that he got knocked down. The knockdown is what makes it a cool about round. It was a good round for him, sure. But that goddamn knockdown. So now we're down 0-2, and I know Choi's not a finisher. So I just I know I'm screwed. And uh, Choi fights a good third round. Probably the best round of the fight for him. His cardio was there. He was moving forward. Kulabau uh, was starting to fatigue a little bit, just get a little more lethargic. His shots were a little easier to time, being telegraphed. But yeah, ultimately, it just wasn't enough because he lost the first two rounds. So when they announced it and the first judge said Choi, I was like, oh my God, because this would be a greasy bounce. This would, this would be a robbery bounce, right? These are the ones that I want. These are the ones that people can actually legitimately complain about if they had Kulabau. Not one of these close fights. Oh my God, held down your guy for 90 seconds more. Whatever, man. I don't care about that. This is a scrap. Kulabau's two knockdowns. So was it a bad bet on Choi? Uh, it should have had him as high. Probably not. But I still think he was the rightful favorite. I do think he could win this fight. These guys fought 10 times. You know, he just tunes up the game plan a little bit. He had, I think, the superior technique. He could have fought a little longer. He could have stayed out of range. He could have just not made those bonehead decisions of charging at him and getting caught, gotten clean. Outside of that, he, he fought a decent fight, so I can't fault him too much. And for Kulabau, he's an action guy. He's an entertaining guy. He's got some legitimate power in his hands, and he'll hang around in the division. Do I think he's got like a huge upside? No, but again, this is the kind of guy that the UFC wants to keep on cards because he'll go out there and entertain the masses and put it on the line, right? So that's all good stuff. Unfortunately, terrible way to end the prelims because we just burned off everything below the top, our top ticket, you know, second ticket and down is done but if you want to rebuild on the main card is what it is and we need jack dell in this next one that's that's the big concern for us are you ready for the nba champs to be crowned join the finals action with DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba new customers can make any five dollar nba bet and get 150 dollars in free bets instantly Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA Finals? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. This NBA season, a customer placed a $5 Same Game Parlay and won over $5,000. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you got a shot. An even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DOP. Make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code DOP only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So, Dello versus Ameev. Ameev just likes to hold guys up against the cage. So if they're not going to score that, like Della's superior offense and output will eventually take over down the stretch. But Ameev did something that I've never seen him really do. He went out there and did not try to grab a hold of Della. He just kind of wanted to strike with him. And he was striking with him. Like he was standing in front of him and giving him a target. He was throwing kicks. He was throwing wild punches. Like 
I don't know. Not a, again, how are you going to beat Della? Probably smothering them. But you know, oh, they're not really scoring that smothering stuff anymore. Well, I better land some punches and some kicks. And standing in front of Della, just uh, bad news. I mean, the guy has got great output. He was just chipping away, body shots. Those eventually got the job done for him. But everything he was landing was pretty on the mark. And he was just pressing forward the whole time. Ameev did lock up the Dars choke. And it looked tight, right? But Amin doesn't really have any submission wins. So part of me was thinking, like, how bad is my luck that I'm about to lose this fight <laughs> by submission to a guy that's just a decision machine is about to choke me out? Like, talk about a bad bounce. But Della right away scrambling, right? And so even though that he's got a darts, it's not like he's got control of the body. Like, Della's standing over top of him. Amin's off his back, and he's holding on to it. He's probably squeezing like a bitch. He's probably squeezing with everything he's got. And I bet you it's tight and it's uncomfortable. Della's face looks red. He's trying to move over and over. And when he falls to his side, most people would think like a guillotine choke, right? When a guy goes to their side and then you end up with a with a, with a a mounted guillotine, it's usually over at that point. When he fell to his side, it was like he's alleviating pressure, right? And he falls down, gets that little bit of space, breaks his head free and back up on top separates and Amiv gets back up and I really truly believe Amiv just gassed his arms out right then and there I think he squeezed the life out of this probably because he heard him gurgling probably because he thought I got a deep bite on it didn't quite have the position the guy standing over top of you just kept squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and Della no quit in him as soon as he freed up his head he went to work drops him with the body shot puts him away clean clean stuff this kid's got a very bright future in the division he's got great output he's got great pace he's in great shape He's got 15 minutes of cardio. Eventually, he'll work his way up the ranks, and you can put him in these little fight night main events. I think he's got a really uh, fan-friendly style. And like he says on record, uh, there's another great thing I loved about him, caused me to put him all the way at the top, was fight week. Uh, Sean O'Malley was talking about, you know, he wants to take the easy opponents. And whoever else was like, oh, yo, I want to emulate Sean O'Malley and take the easy opponents and just, like, work my way up. And then this, and he just bashes them both, Jack Della. And he's like, I want to take the opposite approach. I want to fight the toughest guys you got. Give me all the toughest guys you got. Those are the guys I want to fight. That kind of attitude, that work ethic, that style, does he have holes in his game? Yes. Are they going to get exploited the higher up the, the ranks he goes? Yes. But by fighting the best level of opposition available, he's going to improve. And I do think this guy's going to improve a lot. So Jack Della, this is a stellar, stellar performance. Fought for our dollar. Got the job done. People that played him on DraftKings, you know, that inside the distance... He did everything right. He did everything you'd want him to do. And so very, very nice performance from Jack Della. We'll take that one. And for Amiv, like, you know, his style's not the most entertaining, but, like, he's still capable of beating guys. Like, losing to Della's no shame, dude. It's all good. And, I mean, you almost choked his ass out with that uh, Dars. So, like, don't don't fault yourself too much. But, you know, you do see the limitations to his game. Him losing his last fight against Danny Roberts was indicative of they're not scoring his style effectively anymore. And when he tries to switch up his style a little bit, try to make it a little more entertaining, try to make it a little more chaotic, like did, did not go his way. So bad night for Ramazan. Jake Matthews versus Andre Fialo. Take a dog shot here on Jake Matthews. A lot of it is, you know, people like to shit on him for being a busted prospect, but you look at his losses and, you know, all pretty established guys, certainly at the time anyways, pretty good guys. He fights a fairly high level in defeat. His wins are over against just no good, but He's still so young. He's very young. He was on the Ultimate Fighter. He was like 20 years old. He's been fighting in the UFC since he's like 21 years old. So now he's starting to fill out his frame a little bit. He's moved from 55 to 170. And you're just seeing him fight to fight, put on a lot more muscle, fill out, kind of get some of that man strength. I think you saw that in this fight, dude. He looked 
big. And he's got a bunch of tattoos now, like so he's way more menacing looking than he used to be. But you're seeing the transition from boy to man in him. And I thought that physically he was a lot stronger. And the guy's known for his grappling. He's got good grappling, okay wrestling. Uh, his beaten best win on his record coming into this fight would have been Jingliang Li. Again, you can get that fight done with your wrestling and your grappling, even though the Leech tried to finger blast him in the eye a few times. It was a good performance for him, right? I would think in this Fialo fight, he would want to use his wrestling and his grappling as well. But you do see that Jake Matthews spends a lot of time on his striking. And I believe his father was like a traditional martial artist, but again, comes from a more of a striking heritage and Matthews being young, getting into jujitsu early, just never really flourished in that department. But I think he's starting to put it together. I think he's starting to make strides and I think he's getting a lot more comfortable. That being the name of the game is the comfort factor. So coming into this fight with Fialo at the weigh-ins, it didn't really seem all that apparent, but once the fight started, Matthews seemed quite a bit bigger. He was able to hold his ground a lot more. So one of two things would happen. If Matthews was the man moving forward, cause he's a larger man, Fialo is now forced to move back. And he's not really well, he's not a good counterpuncher. He doesn't fight particularly well off his back foot. He likes to be the aggressor. So he would try to be the aggressor and come forward on Matthews. But again, Matthews is just too big. It was harder to back him up. And what would happen was Fiala would either walk forward and get hit with something and it would rock him, cause him to stall his momentum and walk backwards again. And as soon as he would walk backwards, Matthews would come forward and start landing his strikes again. So he was in a no-win situation. He needed to be aggressive and back Matthews up, but he couldn't. And every time he tried, he got hit. And every time he got hit, it was starting to get hurt. So this is the best Jake Matthews of striking has ever looked for sure. And in the first round, Fiala's not completely out of it, but he gets buzzed a few times and he's going to make some serious adjustments in the second. And in the second, not to be, it was just much of the same. You could tell, again, rewatch the fight as many times as you want. When he's moving backwards, it's like he's got no answer for the forward pressure. So he would try to switch it up and try to be that aggressor. And it's like, Matthews would just clip him with something. He was the heavier puncher. He was the bigger man. And Fiala's a good striker, right? Again, another Henry Hoof protege at a Sanford MMA, only 28 or 29 years old. He's not washed. Won his last two fights in the UFC, and everyone's kind of talking about him. Betting favorite coming into this fight. Like, this is a good win. And Matthews didn't even just try to take him down and spam ground control. He knocked him out standing. You're seeing the confidence. You're seeing the improvement. And I think for somebody in Matthews' case that's accrued almost 20 fights in the UFC, like that experience is starting to catch up with his potential. So, Maybe he's getting a lot more com- uh, comfortable and he's going to be a, a lot better going forward. This is a good coming out party fight for him. Losing to Sean Brady, I don't care about that. Sean Brady's a top five guy in the world. I think Matthews has got still, he kind of put himself back on track. He's no longer a prospect because, you know what? Why isn't he a prospect? He's still only 27. I get he's got 23 pro fights now and has been in the UFC for like almost a decade, but I'm not a decade, but almost a decade. Why can't Jake Matthews be considered still a prospect? I don't know. I don't know. Still young enough to do it. This is good times for him. Whaley Zhang versus Joanna Yanjacek. Uh, this was a regretful decision, but I go with Joanna Yanjacek. I, you know, this is my third underdog shot in the four women's MMA matches. Turns out all the favorites won. Duly noted. Maybe if I took all the favorites, all the dogs would won. You guys know how it works. But I just, I, I I expected more out of Joanna. Um, and that's completely my fault. That's not her fault. That's my fault, 100%. So you watch back the last fight, and it's like, Joanna's fast. She's crisp. She's on point. In the first three rounds, two of the judges got the fight score for Joanna. She's out striking Whaley, Zhang, uh, Zhang Wiley, whatever you want to say, for the first two, uh, three rounds. And then as it goes longer, fourth and fifth, the, hell, the head swells up. The damage accumulates. And Zhang wins the fight. This is a three-round fight. Joanna's been off. She's seems motivated. She seems hungry. She really wants this fight. She's been training at an elite level at American top team. 
She's, you know, go doing the she's saying all the right things and all the press junkets. I think as a live underdog, I think she's got a shot. This thing's going the distance. It's gonna be close. It's gonna be competitive. It's gonna be an all-striking affair. 15 minutes. Joanna will have her moments. I just need two of those three judges to look at volume more than the bigger shot. So it felt like a decent Joanna selection at the time. Fight starts. And I hope I'm not being too harsh because Joanna, my baby, she looks washed. She looks washed. She looks uh thicker, denser, way slower, right? Almost like when Conor McGregor came back with this like Muay Thai style. Like he used to be bouncy and flowy, right? And then he comes back to the UFC and it's like he's slow and plodding, flat footed. The first Dustin Poirier fight, it's like this is not how Conor McGregor fights, but it's like, well, age and you know, money and lifestyle and things have changed. And in Joanna's case, she's been on for a couple of years and she's 34 years old now. This is someone who at her best was just very quick, very fast. But you see in the fight, like her footwork is off. Her timing is off. Her reflexes are off. Part of that is ring rust because she's been off. The timing's not going to be there. Sparring, you can spar as much as you want. It's not a live action situation, right? So maybe she was just taking a little bit, a while to get going, but it's like she just looked off from the second the fight started. I thought this is not good. And Zhang's just outlanding her. She's outstriking her. She decides to mix in the takedown. She gets easy money takedown. Looks good on top. Joanna, Joanna survives, you know, is able to get back up. Zhang just looks all over. Second round, much of the same. Joanna's trying to get going, but Zhang's too strong. This is this was my critical error. The last time they fought, razor close. Such a good fight. Such a good fight. One of the best fights you've ever seen, right? Zhang's done nothing since then but get better, right? She moved over to Fight Ready MMA, one of the best camps in the world. She's worked a lot on her wrestling. She's fought at a world-class level. She got five good rounds with Rose Namajunas, not bad rounds like the Sparza fight. Five good, solid rounds, great experience. Her body's physically transforming. She's bigger. She's stronger. She's faster. She's more experienced. She's more comfortable. She was going to come in here a lot better, right? And Joanna's coming back as a 34-year-old. There was She was not going to get any better. Th- that last time they fought, that was Joanna at her best. She still lost. Now you were going to see a, a regressed version of her versus a, a better version of, of, of Wiley Zhang. So that was a bad read. This was my bad read on the card. And, of course, it hurt to see Joanna get knocked out, and she got knocked out with a swing back fist. It was like a spectacular moment for, for Zhang. I get it. I get it. It's the sport of MMA. It's all about ups and it's all about downs. Joanna's had some great moments. Unfortunately, the run for the championship is no longer there. She can still be like a ga- – not gatekeeper, but she can still fight the top five, the top ten girls, but I don't think she's interested in that. She's very much, I want the championship fight or nothing at all. She's made millions of dollars. I believe she's a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, it is it is, it is, is what it is. Unfortunately, that's as far as it goes. So Zhang has got a promising future. I think she should fight Esparza. I think she should fight Rose again. I think she should fight all the best the division has to offer. She's truly one of the premier talents of the division. And for Joanna, you know, I can't say it was a passing of the torch because her championship status has been gone for a little while now. But this was the re- first real eye-opener that I was like, ah, you know, maybe maybe that was her last real hurrah, I guess. Valentina Shevchenko versus Taylor Santos. So we got Shevchenko on the top ticket. I'm sure a lot of people have an investment in her. Probably her, her by decision. That seems like the, the choice here. She ends up going off as like a 7-1 to favorite. She was 5-1 to that morning. Goes off to 7-1. to So money continuously pouring on a Valentina Shevchenko. But, like, I don't feel good about it because I'm 0-3 in women's MMA matches so far, right? And the three favorites have won. And now I'm backing the favorites. So what do you think is going to happen? I don't know if I was going to pull some crazy shit. 
but I hope I'm wrong. First round, Shevchenko's landing the better strike standing. She looks comfortable. She looks confident. And then she does get taken down. I can't really say that Santos does a whole lot with the takedown, but visually, she does get a little bit of top control. I thought Shevchenko landed some decent little short elbows off her back. I could see somebody giving this round for Shevchenko. I can't. But, I mean, I got to be a pessimist on this one. Like, what's my worst-case scenario? My worst-case scenario is, well, I got taken down. It wasn't like the striking was that far of a runaway. It was uh, – this is this this is could be very likely a Santos round. I'm willing to accept that. So, we're down one. Second round, uh, Shevchenko – again, this it was actually kind of the same story for the most of the first three rounds. Is like Valentina Shevchenko was landing the better strikes that she would get taken down, right? She would do some better work off of her back. She would be trying to open up – her guard and maybe throw up an arm bar or maybe isolate something or she didn't try to go go plot at one time like she was going for it but uh she's largely getting smothered i thought she won the second round i got the second round score for valentina shevchenko but it's not like any of these rounds are super clear and concise they're pretty slow they're pretty grindy um but i got this thing one one going into the third santos wins the round santos again she's able to get the takedown a lot of the time it seemed weird to me. Valentina would have the edge striking and it would almost like she would initiate the clinch. Like there was a few times where she considered taking Santos down. That's what happened in the first. Like she initiates the takedown. Santos ends up on top. So I'm kind of getting frustrated. I'm like, stop initiating the clinch with her. You can beat her with the stand up and stop the takedowns. That's the name of the game. Don't get overzealous. Don't fight, throw, you know, three, four, five punch combinations. Keep it short. Keep it compact. You can have pointer at this point. It might be, 2-1 2-1 for Santos going into the fourth. So it's like, I just need you to buckle down and fight a lot smarter. And then championship rounds are called championship rounds for a reason, right? It's like you're supposed to rise to the occasion if you're of that caliber. A regular fighter fights the three, right? Can they fight a four? Can they fight a five? It's the great question out there. Taylor Santos's case, she's never fought a fourth or fifth round. So it's unknown, uncharted territory for And for Valentina Shevchenko, I don't think she's really ever lost a fourth or fifth round. So... It's time to do the damn thing, and she does the damn thing. I think she wants the fourth. She wins the fifth. Again, this was a close fight, especially considering she's a 7-1 to favorite. Like, it didn't look that much of a runaway. Santos had moments, but I got this thing scored 2-4-5 for Valentina Shevchenko. Am I feeling comfortable with it? No. Um, But I got to rely on the judges, and the judges have been – they've been good tonight. I agreed 100% with – well, okay, I I did agree with the Jocelyn Edwards decision because I could could see it. Two and three for Jocelyn Edwards. The Kang decision, I, I completely agreed with it. I had two and three for Kang. The Brandon Allen uh, decision, people might not have agreed, but I did. I think they're on point for this one. The Josh Kulabau one stings, but two of the judges got this thing right. It was two, two nothing going into the third. Like, how do you see it other than that? Everything else was a savage finish in between that. Uh, savage. And then you got this one, and you know what? It was it was the right decision. It was the right decision. Um, but again, a split does talk to the close nature of it. Santos had some moments. Somebody had her winning the first three rounds, losing fourth and fifth. I think that's pretty fair, too. She won the first. She won the third. The second was pretty damn close. It's just like that's where I disagree. I think she lost the second. She lost the fourth and the fifth. Valentina fight. So is that a bias on my part? I don't know. I'd have to rewatch it. And I'm not, like, really interested in rewatching it because it just wasn't all that good. And it's getting late, and I'm kind of getting tired. And I'm like, uh, well, Yuri versus Glover will wake me back up. Probably only last around anyways. And it woke me the fuck back up. What a main event. Holy shit. 
So <laughs> half of the people are backing Yiri because he's absolutely crazy and he's going to go out there and he's going to throw flashy techniques and he's going to be the younger, more youthful, more dangerous, more dynamic guy. All of that shit, true. The other half of the people, they're like, I'm taking Glover Texera. Old, timey, grindy. He's going to get takedowns. He's going to take this guy's back. He's going to wallop him and put a beating on him. All of that proved to be true. This was a wicked good fight. Now, when you talk about some of these other fights, it's like, well, this happened in the first and this happened in the second. This fight, got to watch it back, going to watch it back 10 more times. It's all blending together in my brain. I couldn't tell you any real specific moments. <laughs> it seemed to me like first round, you know, Yuri's landing. He's doing some good work. He's doing good, good stuff standing. Uh, Glover's tight. He's compact. He's bobbing. He's weaving. Boom, he gets the takedown. Not only does he get the takedown, he passes right to full mount. At this point, eh, we're done. It's over. Glover in full mount. And there was like a minute 15 left. Like, oh. This thing is over, but Yeri fights, man. He wouldn't give up his back because he knew he was going to get rear naked choke, so he'd give up his side. He'd get to one side. He'd take two punches. He'd flatten back out. He'd on his back. He'd move to his side. He's just trying to scramble, just trying to create space, just trying to grab a hold of Glover's hands. Got to do what you got to do to survive. He does exactly that, survives. Second round, he comes out, and he is landing. He's landing good. He's starting to find his, his timing. He's starting to find his rhythm. Cardio's looking on point. This guy's looking like that. That's that spaz kid with ADHD in high school that just goes, goes, goes and does not stop. Like he is all over Glover, just throwing wild ass strikes, stuff that you would never see otherwise. He would go Muay Thai clinch, knee up the middle, knee up the middle, exit the Muay Thai clinch with a spinning back fist. I never seen that shit before in my life. His his rhythm, his timing, everything's so quirky and unorthodox. How do you get a, a read of it? And then Glover would just roll with it, grab a hold of him and rip him to the ground and put a beating on him. So, like, the rounds are super hard to score. I feel like Yuri's getting the better of him standing, and then Glover's obviously getting the better of him on the ground. Yuri has some moments where he'd get some top control, and his ground and pound was unreal, like, really digging into Glover. But Glover would have some more control and definitely landing some more uh, shots of his own as well. So this continues through every round. I had an under two and a half bet on this one. Looked good the whole way until it just didn't materialize. I had a fight doesn't go the distance. <laughs> Look good the whole way until you knew, holy shit, this fight's going to go the distance. And then it. this fight was just one of the wild spectacles I've ever seen. Like a shot of adrenaline right through your body. It could have been 4 o'clock in the morning. You watched a little bit of this thing. It woke you up. Like absolute intrigue. But uh, but again, the rounds, I, I, I'm tough to score them definitively. I kind of felt that it was 2-2 uh, going into the fifth round. I felt that Glover had won. I think I had it one, one and three, one and three, maybe Yuri two and four. Uh, but this is a good fight. And it, and it, and it could be three, one Glover as well. Like Glover might be winning this fight or maybe on his way to winning this fight. The live odds seem to be fluctuating going into the fourth. It was minus 175 Yuri. Um, but then going into the fifth, you know, it's, it's an even money pick. I think it was minus 110 against minus 120. So, I don't know that the judges were all over the place. Looking at the scorecards the next day, they were all over. Like, I don't think anybody agreed on the same round, you know, maybe around here and there. But it was just like a wild-ass fight, man. Like, both guys exchanged wills. Both guys reversed positions. There was multiple, just everything. Submission attempts, ground and pound, huge moments, action. Really did deliver. And this was mixed martial arts at its finest. This wasn't just some great striking battle. This wasn't some great jiu-jitsu match. 
This encompassed every skill that embodies MMA. There was boxing. There was kickboxing. There was Muay Thai. There was crazy Hapkido shit that you only see in the movies, right? Flying knees. There was jiu-jitsu. There was, uh, it, it had it all. It really did. But now it comes down to the fifth round. Who wants this shit more? It's Glover Texera on one side of the cage and Father Time on the other side of the cage. And Glover puts a beating on him. He comes in. He knocks Yuri with a great right hand, like overhand right clubs him. Definitely stuns Yuri. I would say Glover's best punch of the fight standing anyways. Yuri backs up. Glover proceeds to go in at him, try to get a takedown. A little bit slower, a little more lumbering. Can't get him down. Boom. Next, another, another big right hand hurts Yuri. At this point, Glover's trying to take away this round. He's landing the better strikes. He's backing him up. You know it's a matter of time before he gets the takedown. And realistically, Yuri's tired. He's tired. He's got great top control. If he just gets a takedown, I know he got reversed a few times in the fourth, but he just gets on top here. Uh, the fight's likely done. Shoots the takedown, gets on top. It, it looks like it's Glover Texera. Glover Texera, the first guy to beat Father Time uh, ever. And then, man, Yiri would not quit, you know? He'd do everything. He'd throw up an armbar, create the space, belly down, get back up, whatever he could. He just kept moving. That movement allows him to end up on top. Getting on top, he gets to work. Sure, the guy's tired. Sure, the guy's hurt. Sure, the guy's cut over his eye. Huge laceration. Doctor come look at it a couple times. But he wants the thing. He wants the thing bad. And when he got that neck, it's a no-hook rear naked choke, right? Nobody submits Glover Teixeira, BJJ Black Belt, Phenom, right? Nobody submits Glover Teixeira with his own move, rear naked choke. Nobody submits Glover Teixeira with his own move without even putting his hooks in. But you could see the bite on the choke as soon as he grabbed it. And he did a real good job of just like slinking forward off to the side so that Glover couldn't move, couldn't create space, really tight angle on the choke. This thing was tight. I thought, holy shit, there's no way. And there was a way. And I don't know how the judges were going to score this thing. So just happy Yuri could finish it inside the distance. Happy he didn't knock out Glover because Glover, I'm a boy. I don't want to see him get knocked out. Big concussion, big, you know, terrible way to go out. But to have that good of a fight against uh, just an absolute animal of, a, of an opponent, Yuri Petroska, at age 42 in the headliner of a pay-per-view, for a world title, like even in defeat, magical moment, man. Absolutely magical moment. So hats off to both guys. This was a very, very good fight. Very way to, great way to cap things off. Of course, we had Prochaska, so we're happy with that. Unfortunately, Choi was the apple pie shitter this week. We did hit the top ticket, so we broke even. We remained unscathed. Get through the next week and do what you got to do. But close, close. Choi gets the win. You know, things are different. Uh, the bad read on the card was the Valentina Shevchenko versus Wiley Zhang one. I apologize for that. The good read on the card would be either Jack Della, who we went really high with, or Jake Matthews. I felt like that was a good one. Underdog pick came through. What can you do? I'll tell you what you can do. You can get ready for next week's card on Wednesday because ain't no rest for the wicked. So that's what we're going to get at. Uh, thanks for all the messages. A lot of people hit me up, even though it was like a six and five week. Did good on the main card. A lot of people ended up being profitable. And of course, on DraftKings, a couple guys absolutely crushed it. So thanks for all the support. And I will see you guys on Wednesday. So also thank you to DraftKings Sportsbook for sponsoring the show and the Mayo Media Network for hooking up the platform. And uh, I'll catch you guys later. Till the next time. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.